Has your patient fallen and can't get up? How do we help them? And maybe more importantly, how do we prevent it from happening again? That's the question for this episode of Country Hits, Rural Trauma from the Scene to the Emergency Department. I'm Jonathan Kohler, a pediatric surgeon, pediatric trauma medical director, and your host for this short podcast series. Our fall prevention experts are Drs. Katrin Taylor and Christy Adams. Katrin is an emergency medicine doctor and professor of emergency medicine at the University of California, Davis, where she is the senior emergency care unit physician lead, geriatric emergency medicine fellowship director, and the vice chair for faculty development, wellness, and outreach. She's also the medical director for physician wellness for the health system. Christy has a PhD in nursing science and healthcare leadership. She's the trauma prevention program coordinator at UC Davis and the chair of the American Trauma Society Injury Prevention Committee. Here we go. All right, Drs. Adams and Tyler, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about falls, um, and particularly, I think, falls in the elderly, because this is a huge problem. And I know from speaking with lots of rural uh, EMS groups and community emergency departments that falls and fall prevention are a huge part of the work that they are doing and wish that they were doing more of. Dr. Adams, let's start with you. You're the trauma prevention coordinator here at the University of California, Davis. I'd love to hear your perspective on you know, the current state of falls and just give us a sense of the scope of the problem. Sure. Um, so we know that falls is the leading cause of injury death for older adults. And, you know, nationally, one in three older adults who've been interviewed had said they've fallen in the past year prior to their interview. So it is a really big concern for older adults. You know, I, I do have to say that falls and fall injuries is the leading cause of injury for all ages. But really, the difference is when you're three years old and you fall, you bounce, you get up, you're fine. When you're 83 years old, not so much. Of course, that has a lot to do with just frailty and comorbidities and whatnot. So really, a lot of um, severe injuries with older adults who are falling. And of course, older, the more frail they are, etc. That's where we start seeing the long term consequences, if not fatality, then things like the broken hips, the loss of mobility, which is leads to the loss of independence. And, you know, oftentimes we see it's it's really a quick and devastating spiral when someone's had a major injury from a fall. And it's not infrequent that they're not able to get back home and living independent and independently in the way they were. So really a big issue. And, you know, with the population themselves, the older adults themselves, this is a huge concern. I think a lot back to when I was a kid, there was that sort of running joke of those medic alert buttons that you could wear. And there would there was the woman lying on the ground and she'd say, oh, I've fallen and I can't get up. And I think that was like a punchline through high school when you would fall and just bounce right back up. But uh, of course, like that actually is a huge concern for older Americans. I mean, Dr. Tyler, you're the head of the Geriatric Emergency Medicine Fellowship here. And, and obviously, this is predominantly a geriatric issue. But uh, do you have a, anything to add about that that perspective of, of just the burden of falls? Uh, I think, you know, it, it hits um, people in so many ways. And I think, you know, one of the things that sort of the duality of, you know, having had a fall or a near fall you know, people develop that fear of falling, which is sort of paralyzing is not quite the right word, but it pr can really profoundly affect their life. And then simultaneously is that fear of loss of independence that happens to patients or more accurately to people living in the community 
and they fear that that the system is going to sort of come in or their children are going to come in and sort of start taking over their life in a way that really signals a loss of independent living for them. When we think about how we're going to address some of these issues, we haven't we haven't done an awesome job as a health system in focusing on some of those aspects. You made a um, comment about just that fear of someone coming in and, and taking over their lives or whatnot. Yeah, you know, only only half of seniors who fall tell their doctor about it. There's that level of fear where they're not willing to talk about it. Um, and this is, of course, assuming minor injuries and they're not hospitalized or taken in the emergency department. But it's really that it can be that paralyzing where once they have that fear of falling, they're not talking about it. They don't want to go outside. They start losing their mobility uh, because they're no longer doing the activities they have been doing. That increases their frailty, makes them a little more isolated. And it really is that kind of downward spiral. That's fascinating. I mean, just like the beyond the, the simple injuries that you can sustain when you fall, right? Like you fall and even if you're not injured, you're worried that you're figuratively never going to be able to get back up, right? You're never going to mm-hmm. like find your way back that this is going to be a path to to being institutionalized or you know right. losing your freedom in society. You, you mentioned a little bit about, about this idea of prevention initiatives and things that that we are looking at as we sort of recognize the scope of this problem. Talk a little bit about that because I think as I've heard a little bit more about falls, it does seem as though this is an area where we're starting to think about our role as physicians as more than like get the x-ray for the broken bone and more about like what do we do to keep these patients from coming into the hospital? What, how do we identify p- patients who are at risk of needing EMS, needing to go to the ER, needing surgery, and intervene before they actually hit the door of the hospital? Do you want me to take this one, Dr. Kevin? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think we both have plenty to say on this topic. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you can go first. Yeah, well, so, uh, you know, my, my role is focused really on the community uh, side of things. So, and, and then we can kind of segue to, to Dr. Tyler's role as the emergency room physician. But really for, for us and our outreach, the most important thing is getting the message out and the awareness out among older adults about the risk and what can be done to reduce the risk. So some things you can't affect, you know, your your age and any past history of falls, it is what it is. But we know that improving strength and balance is the most effective way to reduce risk of falls. So raising awareness around that, getting older adults connected to, to exercise classes, empowering them, making sure they have the transportation, the resources to get there. And of course, you know, COVID changed everything, but it, it, now we have online virtual, you know, interventions that we can do. But again, just raising that awareness, things like blood pressure medication. Um, is it going to cause a drop in blood pressure when they stand up? Home modifying Modifications, making sure those throw rugs are out of the way, they've got railings in their bathroom, just really simple, straightforward, actionable items that older adults can do to really dramatically reduce their risk of falls. There's also an evidence-based program that specifically addresses that fear of falling called the Matter of Balance Program that really addresses the concerns and the fears and encourages the older adults and the seniors to rethink how they're doing things and how they're approaching their daily lives in a way that doesn't minimize or uh, minimize their independence. Just it's basically rethinking how you do things in a much safer way. So yeah, that's our role is uh, just really the awareness and knowing that there are things 
that can be done to reduce falls and making sure that our seniors are aware of all those resources and what what to do. And we can put some of those resources in the show notes as well. I, I think that idea of like destigmatizing falls too seems like really important, right? Like we need to tell people that this is okay, this happens, and it's not necessarily that you know if you find that you're you're falling. That means inevitably that you're about to be sent to a home. There's such a fear of age, the, the ages or fear of aging and that ageism in our society. And, you know, people are afraid to, or like you said, they don't want to use a cane. They don't want to use a walker because that makes them appear old and frail and just reframing that. So, for example, if someone needs a cane for stability when they're out they're in their daily walks, we'll teach them how to use walking sticks, you know, hiking poles, because that is, first of all, it's a little more stable than a cane. And second of all, it makes you look fit, fit and active. <laughs> You're not using a cane. So little things around that. But I mean, I think sort of from a medical perspective, I think we've done a terrible job of like sort of normalizing these behaviors. And even, you know, obviously I'm in emergency medicine, so we're pretty focused on the here and now kind of business. But, you know, for example, when somebody comes into the hospital and they've had a heart attack, then it's pretty routine now that they get referred to cardiac rehab. And that that's just sort of a routine part of their post-hospitalization stay. And everybody sort of gets that that's what we should be doing. And we haven't done the same thing, you know, on a system-wide level after a fall, but you should have, I don't know, you know, three to six months of physical therapy maybe, or, you know, there's a lot of people, we're probably all around the same age. You know, my parents were like not really in that exercising generation. You know, that was sort of the first generation that had routine access to cars. And so, you know, they weren't walking as much as their parents' generation were. And it just wasn't sort of built into their day-to-day to to quite the same extent that our generation or younger have. And so, a lot of people, you know, in their 80s have never really exercised. You know, it's telling them to go exercise is like really completely foreign to them and they need a guide, you know. And we have all these fantastic health professionals who can do it. You know, having sort of physical therapy can be hugely helpful to people, especially recovering from you know, a minor injury. And I think also, um, you know, to Christy's point about having a minor assist device for a short period, you know, for, you know, you might actually be able to grow out of needing a cane, you know, with enough strengthening, but it's, you know, like if somebody breaks their leg, of course, they're going to be in crutches, right? (laughs) But, you know, like nobody's surprised to see a 14-year-old on crutches, but we haven't quite made the same sort of leap for, hey, yeah, you might need to use a cane for a short period of time, or, you know, you might need something for a period of time to get you back on track. And that sometimes recovering from these events can take a lot longer than we think, you know, really integrating a lot of outpatient resources with what we're doing in the health system could be super helpful. Presumably, it's the case that, you know, if someone comes into the emergency department having fallen, that's a sort of a sentinel for a risk of future falls too. So you know, right, like, totally. you could imagine falls generate, like someone comes in the emergency department for a fall and that generates a home visit for someone to go and look at the throw rugs and point out ways that people could be more assisted in their homes. Right. I, well, ideally, but that's, uh, I, I, unfortunately, that's not always the case or usually the case with hospitals. And, and that's something that really does need to, acute care systems really need to integrate that and part of their comprehensive care of the geriatric patient. Um, yeah. I, I mean, ironically, this is something that happens a lot more in a, you know, universal healthcare system. You can probably tell them from Australia, you know, my mother fell all the time. 
she got like connected to the falls clinic she had a bunch of physician appointments and you know six months with a physical therapy that then because she was still hopeless at the end of it they actually extended that you know and it was all coordinated from within that's not the norm in the united states where often it's multiple different health systems involved but it, it yeah. really should be the norm the the cost oh, yeah. of falls is what 50 billion 50 billion dollars a year yeah. The U.S. Wow. healthcare system spends on um, non-fatal falls in older adults, and and you think um, you know just a fraction of that up front to implement that type of referral and and support recovery um, after a fall would, in in my opinion, in my humble opinion, dramatically reduce that fifty billion dollar price tag. Because you once you fall, you're right, Dr. Carr. Once you fall, um, your your risk and chances of falling again are significantly increased. It does seem as though we are, you know, putting someone in the house of these people who've fallen, which is the EMS personnel who go to the house mm-hmm. and pick this person up off the floor and take them to the hospital. When we think about sort of the opportunities and responsibilities for people on scene, you know, someone's pushed there, I've fallen and I can't get up button and, and now you're walking through the door. What, what are the things that we should be thinking about, both in terms of how to manage the patient acutely and also like things we should be looking for in the house, things that we could potentially intervene on, you know, either ourselves or by like pointing out to a relative or family member in that house, you know, things to think about before the patient comes back from the ER. Well, you know, I'll, I'll jump in here, um, Katrin, if you don't, if you don't mind with the community piece of it. And these are systems that can be set up prior to that first call. And what I mean by that is hospitals can partner with their um, pre-hospital, their EMS agencies to train um, EMS providers. Obviously, uh, EMS providers know how to go in and stabilize someone who's been injured after a fall. But what they haven't been trained to do is do that, like you said, that just cursory assessment, that visual, like looking around the the house of what caused the fall, right? Was it um, a sinkable episode, which they may not be able to know straight up? Did they clearly trip over something where they fall into the bathroom? But most importantly, uh, knowing where to refer for resources afterwards. So uh, oftentimes, I I shouldn't say oftentimes, but at least here in California, a lot of uh, people who call 911 for a fall, they aren't always transferred. You know, the medics will get on scene, they'll be the lift assist, they'll get them back up to their chair and they don't want to go to the hospital. That is the perfect opportunity for EMS to refer those individuals, those older adults, to resources in the community. I know that there are oftentimes agencies that will do um, home modification, sliding scale assessment, um, you know, referring to strength and balance exercises. So it's almost like the EMS is kind of that surveillance, right? The in-home surveillance of what's going on and making sure these individuals are referred, not just through the hospital admission, but clearly if that doesn't happen, there needs to be a way to connect these older adults. So really encouraging pre-hospital and EMS to connect with local hospital and also public health programs, depending on uh, you know what county, what state, there are often robust senior fall prevention programs in within the public health departments that would be more than happy to partner with EMS on, on these initiatives. I think, you know, maybe having some kind of a checklist 
or something. But because it, I think one of the, you know, the sort of thing that I was alluding to earlier where people fear changing anything in their home environment because it really signals that loss of independence. But if you have sort of a, a checklist that is like, hey, here are some things that we noticed about your particular living environment that you might want to consider, you know, reframing, you know, hey, you don't have to give up all your throw rugs entirely, but maybe moving them out of the hallway would be a good idea or, you know, making sure that you have nightlights on at nighttime so that when you get up, I mean, Christy's heard this story a bunch of times, but so my dad has never fallen. Mother fell a bunch of times and remarkably never sustained any injuries, even though she had like bony metastases. She still never, (laughs) she still never broke anything, never even really bruised anything, but she was always falling. And it was a big deal for my dad to try and get her up off the ground before she died. Uh, My uncle was really unsteady. And so he fell all the time and never really injured anything too much, just some minor injuries. But my aunt, who was the most robust of of the four of them, my uncle had like left an internal door closed in the middle of the night. There was no nightlight. She got up and basically walked straight into the door thinking it was going to be open, fell down and broke a hip. Like she just fell once. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and so like I mean, you know, you can have falls with no injuries and falls, you know, one-off falls with significant injuries. But I think having you know like a little checklist, you know, the same way as when you give when they give you that baby and they say, hey, turn your hot water down to, you know, like one twenty, you know, like don't have blinds with cords on them, you know, like all those don't have bumpers on your crib, you know, all those kinds of things that we that every parent sort of takes really seriously about their children in a way of sort of normalizing it. And I, I would think having EMS have that available, you know, maybe this it gets sent as a follow-up, you know, the medics could print it out and send it back to the address or, you know, all kinds of ways that that could be integrated, but so that you can really capture those people on the scene and then feeding back that specific information to the household might, you know, might be useful. Yeah. I mean, what a great way to sort of be integrated in the community and really be serving the community. Right. And I think particularly there's an opportunity here for like the rural EMS agencies who who, who are more likely to actually know these people, right? These are going right. to be their relatives or their, you know, their friends' parents. I mean, there's so much opportunity to, to do that outreach. Yeah. In terms of the, the medical things to think about when you're going to a, a scene of a fall, you know, because it can be such a broad range, right? I mean, you could bounce and just need a hand getting off the ground or, or you could need emergency surgery. You know, things that occur to me, like, I guess you'd want to be sure, right? You understood whether a patient was on anticoagulants because a ground level fall on Coumadin is very different from a ground level fall, not on Coumadin. Um, other things that, that you think should be kind of top of mind for thinking about injuries and injury assessment in, in a patient who's fallen? Yeah. So w- one of the things that a very wise geriatrician taught me when I was uh, still training in Australia was, you know, people people don't like to admit that they've blacked out. And um, you'll often see what I call the absence of de- defensive wounds. So you know, when people fall, you know, everybody's instinct is to put out your arms and, you know, hence we break our wrists. But if you've fallen and you've completely failed to block yourself falling, then you're just going to hit your face for the most part. So any any wounds to the face, especially around the, the bony prominences of the eyebrows and the nose, really scream this person blacked out and that they probably had a, a, either a sinkhole 
medical event or perhaps a seizure. And, you know, medically, it still can be really complicated to figure out was this syncope versus a seizure. But certainly anybody who has, you know, facial trauma from a ground level fall, I would be very concerned that there's an underlying, not just a, sort of the mechanical trip and fall component, but that there is, you know, some underlying medical thing. And I, th those would be people that I would be, you know, reluctant to let them stay at home, you know, because a lot of those patients could be super convincing that, no, no, I remember everything. I didn't black out. <laughs> right. I just tripped on the on this couch. Like, don't mind that I'm on 35 mutually right. counteracting medications have a right. heart history, right? And a seizure disorder, so. Right, yeah. and my heart rate's actually 35 because I'm in complete heart blockers, you know, like, <laughs> so. <laughs> so I think it can be tough to tell, but certainly facial trauma would concern me. Obviously, people have to be able to, you know, weight bear and uh, ambulate pretty much at their baseline, you know, for people to be considered to be able to uh, not come in to the emergency department. And I think, probably talk about this later with the hip fractures, but there's, a huge amount of variation in how much pain people experience from an acute trauma. You know, we've had patients who the broken hip is not even a full through and through break and it's excruciatingly painful for them. And other patients have literally been walking around on their broken hip for two weeks, seemingly with not that much distress. So just keeping a sort of a high index of suspicion, I think, but getting patients up to walk them is probably a good idea. Obviously, you want to check the neck first to make sure that they don't have any C-spine tenderness. It is such an important reminder, I think, for me as a physician to remember that certainly not all these falls are coming in, right? Like these are, oh. these are being managed. <laughs> the vast majority, just like as a surgeon, I often say like, well, look, this emergency department is calling me about this and that. But like what I don't see is like the thousand they don't call me about. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I mean, I think and the thousands of falls that never, ever seek any kind of medical attention, you know, much less. And then like just like Christy was talking about, much less even tell, even tell anybody about it, you know. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, we see the tip of the iceberg in the hospital and then the, the, the EMS sees the middle of the iceberg maybe. And like below right. that is a huge range of people who are falling and not calling until they have the big fall. And so, yeah, how do we reach out to, how do we identify those people, the ones, you know, who haven't even got to the stage of calling for help? Mm -hmm. Well, um, and, and, and sometimes too, with the, you know, that, that whole perception around what is and is not a fall. And, the, you know, there's a, there's a classic, the definition of, what a fall is, or constitutes a fall. But, you know, when we're doing our senior fall prevention classes, particularly the one around fear of falling, almost everybody, when they're telling their fall story, it wasn't, oh, I fell. It was, oh, I just tripped over. Oh, I didn't catch myself in time. And they're in their own mind, they're reframing it. But it, it was a fall caused by something. But um, they're like, oh, you know, I just stepped back on a, on a ball of, you know, my grandkid was playing with. But again, it's just, they're just not acknowledging that a fall is a fall and how it happened is absolutely going to vary and you can do something about it. But I think just the, the widespread awareness in older adult communities and sometimes, and you know, I don't, I, I don't know, there's going to be differences in how you do this between rural and urban, of course, because in urban environments, you have community centers where older adults are convening and, you know, having group activities and whatnot. 
in rural areas, it may be more a matter of getting the information out into churches where the older adults are attending church every Sunday. And you know what? It may be something as simple as a flyer or a poster in the fellowship hall that says one in three older adults fall and the, you know, the reasons they fall are often pretty straightforward and, and preventable. And so just that raising awareness and providing the resources uh, around the, you know, make check your medications, check your home environment, you know, make sure you're doing strength and balance exercises or working on that. Make sure your vision's up to snuff or you have corrective lenses or whatever it is that you need, but really straightforward information that can be put out there in the community. Yeah. I mean, I guess like the, the flip side of falls being something that people are worried about the stigma of is that it is something they're really worried about the stigma of. And so presumably there's some pent up interest in, in doing everything they can to avoid falling, particularly if it, it means like not having to have a cane or some physical stigma of of being elderly like if you could if you could do a few things around the house and and reduce the risk of falls like you'd hope that people given the resources would be you know anxious to take advantage of that i you know i have to tell you here when when we first started um it was a different fall prevention program called stepping on that we start that we initiated here in our outreach program i think it was 2013 we had run the class uh it was kind of spur of the moment with some grant funding we tried to get it online Got it, got it going pretty quickly. It was an in-person class. And about three sessions in, a local news reporter from the Sacramento Bee, our local neighborhood or newspaper, came in and, and did an interview and talked to some people and did um, put out an article. I think it, I want to say it went out on a, a Monday or Wednesday, but it ended up being on the front page of the Sacramento Bee, below the pole, bottom half, talking about literally the title was Deadly Falls and how so many older adults are dying from falls. And in this, the story was prompted by there was a um, increase in fall fatalities that people were trying to in California. They were trying to kind of get to the bottom of that. So this reporter was doing the story. I'm not sure if she was doing this to be nice or um, doing this to, because she didn't like me. But she put my personal phone number or my my work my office phone number. I don't have a secretary, but my office phone number on in the middle of this article in a box that was called out with my name and my information, my phone number to register for this fall prevention class oh, wow. the next day 200 phone calls until my wow. voice box was filled voicemail was filled 200 phone calls and the the messages were you know i want to sign up for your deadly falls class and so she had um like you said it resonated it with the team. demand hit a nerve. And then of course, she's scaring the bejeebies out of them of, you know, deadly falls. And, and the way she had it framed was the only way you're not going to die and fall is to call or fall and die is to call this phone number right now and sign up for this class. <laughs> so that, uh, it, it took us a year to work through that wait list. That was, uh, wow. But yeah, so the huge demand up there, like, and just Absolutely. so get a get an article in your local paper that says you're offering a course in deadly fall prevention, and but be prepared, and then the and calls. then get a bigger answering machine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I will tell you the uh, Wisconsin Institute on Aging we has some pretty amazing fall prevention resources. And fall prevention programs in the in the public health departments uh, in Wisconsin are very active in older adult fall prevention. So, um, definitely, uh, any EMS organizations can connect with local public health. It, and it's not a start from scratch. A lot of the programs are already up and running. It's just a matter of connecting with them on um, outreach, education, materials, and and so on. Yeah, I mean that's fantastic. And we can we'll put links to to various resources out there. And obviously, you know. 
it sounds like every community has recognized that this is a problem and is putting together those resources. Anything in particular, any absolute go-to resources that either of you would use yourselves or, or point your patients to? I would start with the, um, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. The CDC website has a whole toolkit around fall prevention. The name is a little unfortunate. It's called Steady, Stopping Elderly Accidents, Deaths, and Injuries, but it's really specific to fall prevention, the Steady toolkit. And on that website, there's um, a link for clinical providers uh, in terms of assessment, risk, you know, how to evaluate risk, and a couple of algorithms on to determining the patient's fall risk. But there's also a a link for patient and caregiver resources, uh, which is really helpful. The materials are developed by the CDC. So they're, you know, targeted for older adults, easy to read, really clear content, simple, it doesn't overwhelm the reader with too many little words that are hard to read. Um, so that would be my my suggestion for the, the go-to for definitely the community side of things. Well, thank you both so much for taking the time to, to talk about this. I mean, uh, as a pediatric surgeon, I think I had vastly underestimated the scale of this problem and you've really opened my eyes to it. And I think clearly there's so much that we can do as healthcare people in the injury prevention space, in the pre-hospital space, in the emergency department, and in our own lives with our own elderly relatives to start thinking really proactively about how we can destigmatize this problem and provide the resources we need to try to prevent it. So thank you both. You're welcome. Thanks for uh, Oh, absolute pleasure. Country Hits, Rural Trauma from the Scene to the Emergency Department, is a production of Wisconsin's South Central Regional Trauma Advisory Council. Go Badgers! If you enjoyed this episode, there are seven more, so check those out too. And please, rate and review the show so others can find it. Most importantly, tell your friends. This podcast is produced by me, Jonathan Kohler, and Ben Ethan, with production assistance from Terry Hoover. It's mixed and edited by the great J.P. Swenson. Special thanks to Lori Silverberg and Nicole Jennings at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and to Shin Hiroshi, Diana Farmer, Joe Galante, and Nate Cooperman at the University of California, Davis. And an extra special thanks to Dan Williams and the members of the South Central RTAC for deciding they wanted this podcast and what they wanted it to be about. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. Stay safe out there.